certainly appreciate the good, humble prayer. Um, appreciate how it was worded as well. Um, that was very appropriate for this time. Feel the Spirit moving amongst us. I truly don't believe that there's a congregation in this world that can sing, Do Not I Love Thee, like that, unless there is the love of the Lord in their heart. And to turn each cursive idol out is my daily prayer. And that should be something that is so extreme to us, so at the forefront of our vision, that if we see ourselves with some idol in our lives that dares to rival the Lord, that dares to butt heads with our spiritual life and the respect that we need to give Him every day and the love that we need to have for them every day, turn it out. Turn it out. And I'm persuaded and I'm pleased to say that I believe that I'm sitting in the midst of the people that if you saw me with an idol that dared to rival the Lord, you would come up to me and you would say, Brother John Mark, you turn that idol out. It's a blessing of the kingdom of God. And it's a blessing for us to be able to come to one another in love. We're not coming to one another and just pointing the finger and saying, you know, you idiot, you need to do a little bit better. But that's, that's not the case at all. But we, as the Lord's people, like we are to exhort one another in love. We are to come up to one another in love with the fervor that Jesus Christ has for us and show the house to the house, as it were. Show, our show the love of the Lord to one another each and every day. It should never be something to where we have conflict one to another. It should never be something where we say, like, where we view ourselves higher than another person because we are not. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. There is no high ground that comes from being a knowledgeable child of God or being a child of God who's never heard the gospel. Jesus Christ, in his abundant mercy, has taken the people of God as a whole and put them on a level playing field. One that we can look at brethren and sisters and say, you are exactly like me. The Lord loves you as much as he loves me. And thank God for that. Thank God that we can share that love together. God, Lord, be thanked for that song service. Have on my mind this morning, Scripture is found in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, <laughs> verses 1 through 7 is what we hope to cover today. And you please be prayerful that I would not only darken counsel, but that the Lord would be here in His Spirit. Um, and that He would communicate the things that He would have us to know. In turning there, um, Galatians is not only a book where the Apostle Paul puts forth a wonderful argument of why we as children of God in the New Testament church should move on from the old Levitical law to serve the Lord entirely, but it's also a very personal book. You find verses in this book like Galatians 2 and verse 20 where Paul uses very, very specific language, uses very, very personal language, and he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. He could have very easily said we, and that would have been true because he was talking to the church. But he's trying to get across a point here. He says, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brethren, I spent too long in my life not understanding how much the Lord has loved me. Me, 
it's easy for us sometimes as, you know, we go and open our Bibles every single day. We go and try to seek the Lord every day to think about this too much in the objective, to think about the things that we need to do on our checklist and not understand the gravity of what the Lord went through because he loved you. That's something that she sees in our life every single day. That's something that we should hold close to us every single day. And when we understand how much the Lord loved us and we understand how much the Lord loved his people, we glorify him better because we give him more glory that he deserves. Amen. It's a very personal book. But we find in the fourth chapter of Galatians, We'll read the first four verses for sake of time to try to break this up in a good manner. He says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a son, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, we, even so we when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Now, just jumping into this, it's a little bit confusing for us to see because it's a bit of a continuation from the third chapter of Galatians. And we'll try to break this up the best way we can. But what the Apostle Paul is doing right here, specifically in the first four verses, is he's drawing an example. He's drawing a one-to-one -one example of how a little Jewish boy was raised in his house and how there came a time with that little Jewish boy when he was raised where he would become a man, where he knew all the things that he needed to do to go on and be under the rule of society, to take care of himself, and to essentially just simply be a man. And that example is drawn with us in the New Testament church on how for years and years and years of time, we were under the old Levitical law. And after, when Jesus Christ came, that special point when he came, when the fullness of time was come, there was a change that happened where children of God knew what they needed to know and they went on and served in the light that they had. And that was a special light. And would to God we would dig into that a little bit. So let's look a little bit more at what that little Jewish boy looked like right there. There came a point in every young man's life that it was usually about the age of six where he would be under someone called a tutor or a governor. This was also in chapter three called a schoolmaster. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us under Christ referring to us. But this little boy was under a schoolmaster. And what that schoolmaster would do would be he would teach him good moral teaching. He would teach him the places that he needed to go, teach him what he needed to know, places, teach him the things that he didn't need to know, places where he did not need to go. And there would come a point in that little man's life where usually it was about the age of 16, where he knew what he needed to know and he was no longer under that schoolmaster because the schoolmaster had served its purpose. Now, what does that mean to you and I? We were under the law as our schoolmaster. If we turn one page over to Galatians chapter 3 and in verse 23, this verse says, before faith came, that means before Jesus came himself, before he um, 
perform that faithful act of dying on the cross for our sins. Before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. We were under the law. We saw the sacrifices that Christ did say to say. You see, Romans 7 and verse 12 says, um, I'll have to turn there to get that quote. Romans 7 and verse 12 says, Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment just and good. There was nothing wrong with that commandment, but we were subject to that commandment. We were in bondage to that commandment. Hebrews 9 tells us that there's a remembrance made of sin under that commandment. Every time that a high priest or a priest himself came in with a sacrifice um, into the tabernacle and he killed that animal, there was a remembrance of death. And that death was because the people had sinned, because the people were sinners. There is a remembrance made in that law of sin and death. And every time you saw an animal sacrifice, you were reminded of that. And you were in bondage to seeing that every day. What were the children of God like before Jesus came? It's not that they didn't have faith. All the people in Hebrews chapter 11 were mentioned as great characters of faith. Abraham, Moses, Sarah, and the list goes on. We see that they had faith. We see that they had that earnest expectation to know that their God was coming, that Emmanuel was coming. But they didn't see it in the light that you and I see it because the fullness of time had not come. They were still under the schoolmaster. I think about Job chapter 9 and in verse 2 where he says, I know it is so of a truth. Thank God that they back then knew it was so of a truth. They saw the law and they saw it could not fulfill righteousness. But they saw a greater day where righteousness would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But they didn't know his name. They said, Job 9 verse 2 said, I know it is so of a truth. But how shall man be just with God? There was a majesty in that that they couldn't understand. There was a view of that that they couldn't understand. But when Jesus Christ came, they understood it. They saw it. And that's what the Apostle Paul here is saying. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Did you believing that make you a child of God? No, it sure didn't, but it justified you in the courtroom of your own minds. You saw Jesus Christ crucified in front of you. You saw your sacrifice. You saw the worthy sacrifice that wasn't like a bull and a goat sacrificed in front of you. And within your heart, you knew that goat could not do anything for me because that goat was not a worthy sacrifice. But Jesus Christ came down from heaven to do the will of the Father, and he was the worthy sacrifice. He was born of a virgin. It was said in Isaiah chapter 6. And in verse 14, I believe it was, A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. Later on, in verse 4, in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to see that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. How important is that? There have been many people over the last few years who have let go of the virgin birth. I'm going to tell you something, child of God. We need to grab hold of that. We need to keep that doctrine, not only because the Bible said it, but because if Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, he was a man just like you and me. And because he would have been a man just like you and me, in full context, no, um, well, he was a man just like you and me, but he was fully God and he was fully man. If he was born of a man and a woman, he would have been 
fully man. There would have been no God in him. And the reason that we hold to the doctrine of the virgin birth so much is because if he was not born of a virgin, he would have been a sinner just like you and me. The sacrifice would have, not, would have been tainted. But we see here that when Jesus Christ came, people of God, the people that knew the joyful sound, the people that understood what Christ did, were justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. We are not under the Levitical law anymore. We are not under those precepts that are a shadow of good things to come. We don't have the shadow. We don't even want the shadow anymore. We want the real thing. We want to see Jesus high and lifted up. The only thing that will purge our conscience from dead works. Why does it purge our conscience from dead works? Because he actually purged our sins away. The blood of bulls and goats can't do that. Our good works can't do that. Jesus is the only one who can do that, and he did it. For ye are the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's dig in a little bit more to what verse 4 says about our Savior. So we see the principle of what the church here in Galatia was supposed to move from. We see that they were supposed to move from the old law service and that they were supposed to move to and embrace Jesus Christ, who he was, what he did. That's the center of our worship. And within these next three verses, the word of God tells us in a wonderful way who our Savior was, what he came to do. Every single word in these next few verses have been precious to me. They're very personal to me. Amen. They should be personal to all of us. Amen. Because, again, and I mentioned this before, we can internalize, um, or we can externalize, rather, um, our religion. And we can make it something that we do, rather than understanding the reasons of why we do it. And the good Lord who made it... Um, evident in us and put his love within us. We all need to look at this with great respect and great reverence and great love. It says, but when the fullness of time was come, there was a fullness of time for Jesus Christ to not only come into the world but also to die. In Acts chapter 2 and around in verse 23 I believe it is, we read this. This is the sermon, this is the sermon at Pentecost that Peter was preaching. And he says, Ye men of Israel, here in verse 22 in Acts 2, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. That is very, very important. We're going to read later on in Galatians chapter 4 that this was literally the Son of God. God sent forth his Son. Now, there was a heresy years ago that would say that Jesus Christ, before the world began, before he actually came into the world, he was the Word. And the way that people would rationalize that is they would go to John chapter 1 and in verse 14 where it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, there were many years of my life where I didn't think that was such a big deal. So Jesus was the Word before he came into the world. He was the Son after 
That's a huge heresy because Jesus Christ was always the Son of God. He was always dwelling in heaven and he was always daily the Father's delight. And the reason that matters is because God did not love us and put us in the Word. He put us in His Son. We are what's called joint heirs with Christ. That means when Christ is righteous, we are righteous. That means when Christ is good to go to heaven, we are good to go to heaven. When Christ was resurrected, we were resurrected. When Christ took our sins upon Himself and purged them, we are purged too. That can only be done by the Son of God. You would not be a joint heir if He was not the eternal Son of God. It is very, very important that we believe that. He was approved of God. He was as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He was always worthy. He said in Hebrews chapter 10 and around verse 7, Lo, it is written, I come in the volume of the book to do thy will, O God. That's exactly what he came to do. And you know, he was approved of God. In John, I believe it was Matthew chapter 3, um, where he came to be baptized, and also on the transfiguration, this was said of Jesus Christ. God literally spoke from heaven and he said, this is my beloved son. That is very important. And it's also majestic just to see how much authority that God gave to Jesus Christ there. This is my beloved son. This is the announcement of God with us. That is amazing. But he said something that, in my opinion, gives so much more gravity to that. He says, in whom I am well Pleased. God the Father was always well pleased with Jesus Christ. It was not something to where, you know, God was sitting on the edge of his seat and he was just waiting for Jesus to die on the cross so he could be the worthy sacrifice. No, Jesus was always the worthy sacrifice. There was never any question that Jesus was going to come into the world and not do what he was going to say to do. He was always going to do it. He was the worthy lamb. That's why all of heaven right now is singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain because he was coming to do that which he said to do. And the Father knew it. The Father was well pleased with his time here on the earth as he was well pleased in all time. He was approved of God. He was approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs. We in the world saw that. Objective evidence that Jesus Christ performed miracles and that he was the Son of God. These were blind men that can now see these were deaf men that can now hear. These were lame men that can walk right now. And I'm going to tell you what, Jesus didn't take them to the hospital and do PT either. It was just like that. And that is the power of the Son of God. He spoke to a dead man and he said, live. He said, Lazarus arise and he arose. What power does the Son of God have? What authority does the Son of God have that he could come down here in the world as equally God and equally man and do those things which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves also know? They were not ignorant of that. But these same people in this same sermon were mocking. They said these men are filled with new wine. After seeing the greatest man that would ever walk the face of this earth do all of those miracles, preach perfect sermons, do perfect miracles, speak perfectly to people who needed to be spoken to, these men still mocked and made just, they had fun with all of this stuff, for lack of a better word. Brethren, I found myself doing the same things. 
I found myself belittling what I know to be true. I found myself day by day lessening what I know and making it something that is disrespectful to it. We need to hold these things. Amen. These things need to be personal to us for the sheer reason that they actually happen. For the sheer reason that God himself has told us these things. It's a serious matter. It's nothing to be joked about. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that, that he should be holden of it, that she, he should be holden of death. Here we see that Jesus Christ, there was an actual time that God had in his mind for him to die, for him to be the sin bearer, as it were, for him to purge those sins. And it was because of the foreknowledge of God. It was because God loved his people. You see, it's a truth that we should hold to, even though we don't understand it, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. I don't understand that. I never will be able to understand that. How can a holy, righteous God see someone, look down from heaven, see no one doing anything good, all going out of the way to be together becoming unprofitable, and him pick out a people and say, I love you. I don't understand that. It's a mystery of mysteries, but by faith I believe it happened. Amen. By faith I see in my spirit welling up when I read the word of God that Jesus Christ came to do those exact things. It's grounded for me. It's solid for me. I believe it even though I cannot explain it to you. That is the cornerstone of our belief that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Amen. And that was always going to be the case. Jesus was not shocked in what he had to go through. Jesus Christ, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was anxious. He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. He was not bleeding. He was not bearing our sins there. He bore our sins on the cross. But in that same vein, Jesus was, he was scared. He was heard in that he feared. There was so much suffering. There was so much agony that the Son of God went through on the cross. Not only just the physical punishment, not only the crown of thorns, not only the fact that he was whipped with the cat of nine tails, not only the fact that he had to bear his cross just medically. That man would have been anemic. He would have been fainting. He would have been very prone to infection. He would have been losing blood. Like, it's amazing that he could have even got through it. He was marred more than any man. But that wasn't the worst part about it. God literally poured out the wrath that you and me deserve for all that we've ever done in our lives. All the sins that we ever committed, they fell on him. And there was a point where he cried out and he said, My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken, so we never would have to be forsaken. Thank God that Jesus Christ came to bear our sins. Thank God that greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his brethren, for him that he, or for them that he loves. There's no greater love than that. Amen. That love is to you. That love is for me. Like Paul said, I thank God who loved me. And gave himself for me. God loves you individually, child of God. Yes, you're a part of the great cloud of witnesses. Yes, you're a part of the, um, the elect family of God. But God died for you. 
That song, sometimes when I think of the cross, I find much sorrow there. To think of such a perfect life, he gave without a tear. My Savior died for me. We need to know that. We need to internalize that. What great love he has had for us since the beginning of time, even before the beginning of time. God has always loved you the same way, regardless of how far you've gone, regardless of how much of a prodigal we've been in our lives. Would to God we live our lives trying to love him. And it was not possible that death should hold him either. He was always going to rise from the dead because in him rising from the dead, that means his people would rise from the dead as well. Amen. We find the next phrase in Galatians chapter 4 when it says, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Now we've already covered that Jesus Christ is the eternal son, is the eternal son of God, and that's a beautiful truth. But this word sent forth is very significant to me. God sent forth the perfect sacrifice into the world out of the throne room of glory into the lowest place that a man could be sent in the womb of the Virgin Mary into a place that was not financially well off. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born and he was placed in a manger in Bethlehem. What a kind dissension to men of low estate. God has never told us to do anything that he had not done, had not done himself. When he says to condescend to men of low estate, condescend and go to the people that need you, whether they are financially less well off than you, whether they don't, whether anything, whether the society views them less at all, like that's no reason not to go with them because he did. He condescended to men of low estate. But this word sent forth, it has reference, I believe, to a verse in Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 26. And this same language is used, and this portrays a powerful point. It says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 22, and it said, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become one of us now. Talking about Adam after he ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He's become as one of us right now. He's not a God, but he knows good and evil right now. Why? Because he did evil. Right. He transgressed the covenant. Of, he transgressed the law of God, and now he knows good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever, therefore the Lord God, what? Sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. God said, get out. This place that could only be described as the best place that we could ever be had Adam never sinned, God told him to get out of that. Why? He had transgressed God. He transgressed his covenant. He wasn't fit to be there anymore. He wasn't supposed to be around that anymore. He couldn't be in the presence of God like he was before. He would literally plow in the sweat of his face all the days of his life. Eve would have travail and childbirth. All of these things happen in this sorrowful scene that we see of Adam going in the way, going away from the presence of God. That's a picture of you and me right there. We transgressed the covenant of God and we were sent away. We were out of the way. But we look over. In Zechariah chapter 9, 
And in verse 9, we see a better picture. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9 reads this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and, the, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. Aren't you glad for that one? Because the heathens, us, we are Gentiles, and we, we in the, at first, we're spiritual Gentiles, which having not God, without God in the world, we were dead in trespassing and sins. We were away from God. Amen. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from the river even unto the ends of the earth. And here it is right here. As for thee also, talking about Jesus, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there's no water. That's talking about us. By Jesus Christ's blood, we were ransomed out of the pit of death. We were ransomed out of the um, law of sin and death. He, for, he overthrowed it with, an, with another law, the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He made us free from that place, from a, from a place where we ourselves had no water. But what did he do? He um, died for us and he put his blood upon us and we went out of that pit. Amen. And then it says... Turn you to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render unto thee double. Because Jesus has died for us, we should turn to him as our stronghold every single day. He is the only stronghold that we, that we have, and we should turn to him. Back in Galatians chapter 4. We'll try to cover this as quick as we can and then sit down. He says, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. He took us out of a place in death and trespasses and sins. We were, in a sense, owned by those people. We were sinners and we were sinful. But Jesus Christ, through his blood, through the covenant of grace that God established before the world even was, foreknew us, he loved us. He elected us. And he took us away from sin to where now he views us just as righteously as he views his son. Amen. Mystery of mysteries. And he says, and because you are son, you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. First John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold what manner God hath... Well, I'm going to turn there as well. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. It was that perfect love. It was that love before the foundation of the earth. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Do you ever feel like that you're not satisfied in the world? Do you ever feel like the world just isn't your home? 
That's good. It's not. It's not supposed to be. We're supposed to be abiding in the courts of the Lord. We're supposed to be striving for that our spirits are hungry for. We are not. This world is not our home. The world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We get to experience the blessings of knowing who we are before we even see perfection that one sweet day. Isn't that a blessing? And he says, because you are sons, he has sent forth the spirit into your hearts, crying out of father. This is talking about regeneration right here. And if we look in John chapter three and in verse three, we see a very good illustration of this. It says it's the conversation with Nicodemus. And he says in verse two, the same came unto Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said this unto him, Verily, verily, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus right here misunderstands this, and he understands it as a natural birth, and he's like, can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born again? Is, is there maybe a third birth, Jesus? Like that's the train of thought he was going on, but he's not talking about a natural birth. Right. He is speaking of a spiritual birth. And I'm going to tell you, child of God, the same way that the power of the highest came into Mary's womb and overshadowed that sinful place is the same way that Jesus Christ comes into your heart and he doesn't need, you know, for you to keep the door unlocked. He goes in willingly and he goes in powerfully and he takes over that dark place, that heart and stony heart, and he gives you a heart of flesh in Christ himself abides there. It's the same way. And the last verse that we will cover in Galatians chapter 4, and I believe this is a beautiful way to tie this lesson together. I'm the Lord inspired to write. It says, Wherefore, seeing these eternal things, seeing who Jesus Christ was, what He came to do, and what He did do, Wherefore thou art no more a servant. That same place that you looked like that you were in before Christ came. You didn't see your righteousness in front of you. You had faith that it would come, but you didn't see it. We are no more like that servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. The Lord died for us. He rose for us. We died with Him. We rose with Him. One day, He's coming home to get us and we will rise because He rose. And because He is in heaven and in full righteousness with the Father, we will be in heaven. Righteous just how He is. What a wonderful truth that the Lord's Word tells us of here. God bless you.